On today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, there's a brand new Godzilla movie coming out called Minus One, and holy crap, it looks really good. Also, apparently Last of Us Season 2 is completely ready to go as soon as the actor strike is over. Daredevil has been pulled indefinitely from the release schedule. We'll figure out when that's going to come out. Also, that Taylor Swift concert movie has caused all three other films that we're going to release on that date now to move. And we're going to talk a little bit about the biggest winners and losers of the 2023 movie season. That and a whole bunch more. The John Cabot Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show on the planet Earth, The John Cabot Show. Coming from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I'm, of course, your host, John Campion, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but also giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. I'm joined in studio by Ray Ora. Godzilla, baby. <laughs> Jonathan Boyd goes over here. <laughs> all right. Writer, director, producer, and also uh, visual makeup effects victim, practitioner and victim, victim uh, Robert Meyer Burnett is here. It's good to be here. And I, I uh, echo my esteemed colleague, Ray Orr's sentiment. Godzilla, baby. <laughs> By the way, uh, check out, uh, you should check out Rob's social media because he posted some pictures because you were, you were standing in for a friend's production, right? Well, yeah, I was, no, it's a production, it's a movie I'm producing, but we added gore to it. And it was, we wanted to make it more exploitation than it is. And I physically sort of resembled the father that's killed by his children via being flogged to death. Spoilers, Rob. Spoilers. Yeah, I know. It's terrible. So, so uh, you know, we're doing, doing it. We can't pay so an got actor. Some, some body makeup done. So I had, yeah. And Vincent uh, Gastini, who did things like he made the wings for the angels in Kevin Smith's Dogma. We were at his facility and he wired me up and they flogged me for John for seven hours. <laughs> and look, Greg, because you were texting me some of the yeah, pictures. They, it looked pictures. really, really good. I was impressed with myself. <laughs> and of course, most importantly, you guys are here. Thanks so much for joining us. Here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to start off by going through those topics that I just listed off. Then in the last part of the show, we're going to take questions and topics from our YouTube channel members. For those of you listening to our podcast feed, we also have a YouTube channel. We put up some videos every day, and we have a terrific group of supporters that are known as our YouTube channel members. And if you are a YouTube channel member, thank you so much for being that. And we ask every day that they send us in some topics, and we discuss those, at least as many as we can, at the end of the show. All right. With that down, let's get things started here with uh, this. You know, what was the name of the last Godzilla movie that Toho did? Shin Godzilla. Shin Godzilla. I never saw it. It was really uh, good. Yeah, I, I heard a lot of people say really good things about it. I, I'll be honest with you. While I grew up watching the Godzilla movies, and I got a kick out of Godzilla versus Kong and stuff like that, yeah. I, I find a lot of, I find Godzilla movies are a lot like zombie movies. They're the same. Right? It's it's the same thing. It's like everything's fine one day in Tokyo and then oh no! You know, Godzilla's coming out of the oceans, right? Kind of the same thing. So I never got around. I, I don't I never saw the the Shin Godzilla and stuff like that. But they just dropped a trailer. I believe it's also Toho that did this one. Yeah, yeah. For a brand new Godzilla movie called Godzilla Minus One. I have no idea what that means, but it's only a 90-second trailer. I think it was a one minute, 29 seconds. And in the first 15 seconds, I thought this is the greatest Godzilla trailer I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. 
It looks awesome. It's visceral. Apparently, the writer and director of it also did the visual effects, so a little bit like uh, Neil Blomkamp from District 9, pulling a little bit of that. And it just looked like some of the explosions, like Godzilla himself, yes, but then some of the explosion stuff like felt so uncomfortably real that I was like viscerally pulled into it. And there's, I, I guess this is Godzilla. I'm only going to guess this is him surviving a nuclear blast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks. And now yeah. he's just pissed. And there's a great line in the trailer where it says, that monster will never forgive us. So I, I don't know what we did to piss off Godzilla or what people did. But I'll tell you what, I haven't been this excited to see a Godzilla movie maybe ever. And that's the power of a good trailer. Rob, I know you came in and we said, have you seen the trailer? Like, what? They put out a trailer for it? You watched it. What do you think about the trailer? Well, I'm a huge fan of the, the whole franchise. But, you know, Godzilla's kind of like the Batman comic books. You know, in the 60s, the Batman comic books became really kind of goofy. And then you had the TV series... And now Batman's very serious. We get like the Batman. We got Nolan's Batman trilogy. And I think they've kind of done that with Godzilla. It, Godzilla's been very goofy. It started out as a very serious meditation on post-war atomic Japan, you know, after it had been dropped two atomic bombs on them, we did. Um, but now they're moving back into the very serious realm of Godzilla. And it looks like they're going back to examine post-war Japan in this. And... Dude, I'm so there for it because, you know, Godzilla started out as being a, a scary force of nature. Then suddenly he's jumping around with those little kid blowing atomic smoke rings, and it was very goofy. The, the one with him fighting alongside a giant Spider-Man will will always live in my I, head. I, I mean, and that was uh, crazy stuff, you know, and, and now it's back <laughs> to the really serious. I mean, this how many people die in this 90 minute and 20 seconds? A lot of people. A lot of people. A lot of people die in this. Yeah. And uh, it's it's the way I like the way. I mean, some people will never take Godzilla seriously, and I understand why. But I take this I take this seriously, John. I look at this. You showed it to me. Uh, you were giddy to show this. Oh, let me look at it. Show this to you. And I'm like, man, I can't wait. This looks so good. And the last film, Shin Godzilla, was a modern day Godzilla movie where it was like the Japanese version of FEMA had to right. deal with Godzilla as a natural disaster. Like, how do we, a force of nature, Just what do we do? Just something that they have to put up with every once in a while. Uh, yeah, like a tornado or something. And <laughs> it was really good. And the Japanese have been making these Shin, they've got Shin Ultraman, they have Shin Kamen Rider. Right. So they're going back and they're taking these sort of, I guess, things that were kid-like and bringing them into the modern age and making them much more adult in their sensibilities. So all the kids who've now grown up with these things and are adults can watch them and go, well, this is kick-ass now. Now, I, I didn't freeze frame it to double check it for sure, but there's a shot near the end of the trailer where it's just, it's a, it's a, a solid a static shot of a city. And then all of a sudden a ship comes flying into it. <laughs> you know what? I have to freeze frame it because I'm not sure. That ship looked an awful lot like the space battleship Yamato. <laughs> it, and the coloring and the shape of it, it I'm not saying it was. Well, it, it would have been, that would have been right because the Yamato, the original Yamato sank during World War II. Right, so it could have been from that era, right? So, or I don't know if there was a little bit of an homage going on in there, uh, but it looked pretty good. You, Ray, you were pretty giddy about it. You said you really liked it. Because um, I'm used to, I think, the the newest Godzilla. I, I wasn't into Godzilla back then, like the black and white movies, but I just got into Godzilla with the the newest one, Walter White. I didn't right. even like uh, watch the one with uh, Matt. Was it Matthew Broderick? The, yeah, the, yeah, you yeah, don't have to see that. Oh, yeah, that the, Hank Azaria was in that All one I remember too, back yeah. in the day. from that movie, you I didn't watch it, that but that soundtrack 
was like my favorite. Like I had that CD. Well, that was Rage time. Against the Machine. Did the, Rage the, Against yeah. the Machine, yeah. P. Diddy. <laughs> That's why they find, oh no, Godzilla laid a bunch of eggs. Yeah. It's like, so, right. like, so the <laughs> starting off with the the Walter White or Walter White one, the one that he was in. <laughs> I always thought the US version of Godzilla was super cute. I I, I don't find him scary, but this one. This is I I hear this is the way Godzilla should be like he's a yes. menace. he's a menace oh yeah to Japan like he's just like a dickhead like he's a menace whatever I want whenever I want to come out I'm going to destroy your buildings how long does it take them to rebuild so he could just come back and knock it down <laughs> it's almost like that kid that just kicks over the sand natural castle. disaster man he's yeah. a natural disaster I cannot wait I don't care if it's not in English whatever I'm going to see this but the only bad thing is December first. That's well, not, I don't think it's going to be in theaters here. Like, no, no, no. Yeah, it'll be in Japan. Oh, but it said in the description, uh, uh, theater release. Oh. I, I don't think that's oh. for here, though. But maybe, I have to say, John, they've been releasing things like The Wandering Earth, a Chinese science fiction movie. Well, and been with releasing the strikes, they may be locally. looking for stuff to release. Yeah, yeah man. Well, hopefully it comes yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to this next thing here, shall we? You know, um, I... One of the things, you know, I know I'm going to sound like the old guy with the lawn and in my day, but one of the things I don't like, there's a few things I don't like about modern television, even though there is a lot to love about modern television. We live in a truly unprecedented, amazing time to be watching some great TV today, but there are still a couple of things that bug me. You know, I don't like the short seasons, I'm not a big fan of that. But one of the other things that bugs me is, oh, that was a great season. Eh, in about four years, we should get season two. Yay! Like, I, I'm, 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 that bothers me a bit. It's like, you know, it wasn't that long ago. They were making 23-episode seasons and cranking them out every year. But at, at any rate, Last of Us, man. When Last of Us came out, I mean, obviously, very popular game. A lot of people had a lot of high hopes but I don't know if those high hopes came along with high expectations because, of course, the video game genre sucks whenever they've tried to put stuff out with some very, very, very few exceptions. Last of Us was a completely different creature. Last of Us was, might still be, the best thing on TV. I, I was absolutely floored by how good it was they kept the stuff they needed to keep from the game, and in other things that they changed, they kept the spirit of the game, even though they changed certain things. They always kept the spirit of it. And it was just some of the most remarkable stuff I've ever seen. I mean, it was just absolutely phenomenal. However, very shortly after the season ended, we got word that it'll probably be about two, two and a half years till we get season two. I'm like, what? what? Come on now. But, but at any rate, obviously it could be even longer. Because now we have some strikes going on. But according to this new story in Deadline, uh, the series co-creator, Neil Druckmann, who also like created the game, is saying that, hey, we're ready to go. As soon as these strikes are over, we are absolutely ready to go and roll with this. He talks about that they had been able to make, before the strikes, a lot of progress. They said the entire second season is completely uh, framed out. Everything's ready to go. They've been able to accomplish a bunch of stuff even while the... Uh, the strikes are going on. How? I'm not sure. I don't know if there are some exceptions about there for you know, a, a showrunner who's also an executive producer of, of a show or whatever. That's whatever. So, yeah, I mean, listen, this is exciting to me. 
because even once they start making this, we're probably still going to be two years removed from it coming out, which I, I, I really don't like this. I, I don't like having to go this long. I don't even know when second season of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon comes out. But at any rate, this is at least encouraging to hear that enough progress has been made that they can get the wheels going again. Rob, you know, obviously this is a show you also really enjoyed a lot. Um, what do you think about his comments here? Does that surprise you that they've been able to make this much progress? And realistically, when do you think the earliest is we're going to be able to maybe see a season two? Well, I think, you know, with a strike on, people don't want to rest on their laurels. And while they can't officially work on things, I think Druckmann and Craig Mazin, it's really their show. And they're going to have to do the work anyway. And as they protest and do things, I mean, you know, people people who are creative don't stop work on something just because they're necessarily on strike. They're not being paid to do it. You know, eventually they're going to have to get paid to write their scripts at some point. So if they've got it, and they might have, by the way, John, I don't know this, but they, they it took a long time to make this show. So they could have it been, yeah. they could have had scripts written before the strike began. True. And so they've just been figuring out uh, how to produce the show, how to make like maybe their, the location work that they did in that show was amazing. The Canadian locations, they found yeah. different cities. I thought that was really phenomenal. They could have been doing that, you know, just traveling around, looking at things that were unrelated to writing, but they are producers as well. So they, ha who knows what they were doing, but if they're ready to go and can hit the ground running and they shoot the whole thing at once, you know, we might get it within a year after the strike's over. I would imagine because it's going to be hard so. to schedule everybody because everyone's going to be trying to rush to make things. But I think this is really great. And I, I like, look, I felt that The Last of Us, it's exactly the kind of thing I wanted where I felt that Craig Mazin and Druckmann knew what they were doing. They knew what they wanted to make. We, as the audience, were recipients of people that really understood their vision and delivered exactly what they wanted to which is a great adaptation of the game. The acting was exemplary. The writing was terrific. The effects work. Everything about that show was first rate. And as a video game adaptation, I was blown away. And as a genre show uh, in general, I thought it was terrific. By the way, it's not quite Game of Thrones numbers. 24 Emmy nominations, including for Best Drama Series. 24 Emmy nominations, including Best Drama Series. Like, if you'd asked me just like three years ago, you think you're ever going to see a video game adaptation TV show get nominated for like best drama series? Nah, but and yet here we are. Well, it's because they had people that that took this the 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 subject, took the original material and and devoted such faith and talent to it and took it seriously and gave us something that was top tier on every level. Yeah, and you know the funny thing just too is and where they made change cuz they did not treat the source material as sacrosanct, right? Right. And where they did make changes, again, they maintained the spirit of it, but every change they made actually elevated it. Episode three, which it's funny because until you don't even have to say what it is. All you got to say in, in TV crowds is say episode three. Everybody knows what you're talking about. They're talking about the Ron Swanson episode. <laughs> the Ron Swanson. Uh, of, uh, <laughs> sorry, what's the actor? The, um, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman, yeah, yeah. thank you. But- I like I prefer to, I prefer to think that this is the what happened after Parks and Rec Ron Swanson. <laughs> He's a survivalist, but everybody knows who you're talking about, right? Like he, while those characters had their roots in the game, like that's an original episode and that episode kind of came to epitomize the spirit of the show. Be really true to the game 
And where we do change it, any change we make has to do two things. It has to elevate it and it has to stay true to the spirit of it, even if it's not the actual events of the game. And they they did that brilliant mixture of frame for frame from the video game Well, original stuff that elevated the content, it was a phenomenal accomplishment. really was. Absolutely loved it. All right. Guys, with that down, we're going to take just a quick second here and thank one of the sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at mint mobile for sponsoring this episode of the john campia show podcast all right guys with that down let's go on with this shall we you know other than x-men i think a good argument can be made that in the world of marvel there's never been something more anticipated than daredevil yeah you could say fantastic four but you know, Fantastic Four had three other iterations that were all fairly disappointing. Whereas Daredevil, I'm not going to call it the best video game adaptation television show, but it's definitely in the conversation as yeah. one of the best ever done. And a lot of people have been very, very excited about that coming over. Now, there's still some debate. I think they've made, I think Charlie Cox has made it pretty clear this isn't the exact same Daredevil as the one that was in the Netflix series, but it's going to be almost exactly like him, uh, whatever. We got Charlie uh, Charlie uh, Cox coming back. We got uh, Vincent D'Onofrio coming back. Everybody's really excited about it. Well, Daredevil started to experience some problems before the actor strike even began. They went into production on Daredevil Born Again, and then they had to shut down production a number of times because of the writers were, even though the scripts were already done and written, the writers often set up their picketing uh, which they have every right to do, where they were trying to shoot Daredevil, a lot of labor wouldn't cross picket lines, shut the production down, and a couple of times, and then the actor strike happened, and well, that that shuts everything down, period. And now, unfortunately, for those of us who thought we were going to have to wait for this 18 episodes of Daredevil goodness, going to have to wait longer, and we don't even know how much longer, because according to New Report, Uh, Daredevil and several others have been pulled from the release schedule indefinitely. It says this, a new report from the Hollywood Reporter revealed that the upcoming MCU series Daredevil Born Again was just delayed indefinitely. The show, which was announced with a spring 2024 premiere window, has now been taken off Marvel Studios' upcoming release calendar alongside Ironheart and Wonder Man. If production picks up, 
at the start of next year. Fans can expect Born Again to be delayed approximately until spring of 2025 now. However, that will all depend on when the studios will finally agree to new contracts with both WGA and SAG-AFTRA to end the strike. So it's not just that they were delayed. They've been indefinitely delayed, like no new release dates. And it wasn't just Daredevil. It was also the upcoming Ironheart and the upcoming Wonder Man. Now, these announcements follow very shortly on the heels of another set of announcements of some other Disney plus Marvel shows that have been delayed, but we know at least when check, check this out. So just the other day, three Marvel Disney plus projects got announced that I believe all three of them were supposed to come out in 2023. They've now been pushed to 2024. That includes Agatha, the dark hole diaries, which by the way, some of you might be saying, I thought it was called the covenant of chaos. They changed the name. So Agatha, which I have to admit, I'm really looking forward to. I love the Agatha character from WandaVision. I'm looking forward to this. But they've changed the name to Darkhold Diaries, which honestly, I think I prefer this title. At any rate, uh, some people have been very excited about the X-Men 97 animated series. That has been pushed to sometime in 2024. And the other series that nobody is looking forward to, uh, Echo, has been pushed to 2024, to which we all collectively said, who cares? Um, and again, no disrespect to the character. I just think I just think the people who made Hawkeye did not do this character justice. They did not do the Echo character justice. And I don't know anybody that can. I'm sure some people are. I'm saying I don't personally know anybody who came out of that Hawkeye series going, I can't wait to see this Echo series. I thought they really dropped the ball with the character. At any rate, that now goes alongside with these three shows uh, that have been pulled. Let's pull that graphic back up again. That have been pulled down. Daredevil, Born Again, Ironheart, and Wonder Man now off. Now, with Wonder Man, I don't even know that they made any progress on that at this point. Ironheart is another one. Not as bad as Echo, but after watching Wakanda Forever... I didn't hear a lot of people coming out of that going, ooh, I can't wait to see a whole show with Ironheart. I <laughs> I just, I, I just, I, again, and I, whatever, it is what it is. So, but we got Agatha, Darkhold, Darkness, X-Men 97, and Echo delayed. It delayed indefinitely are Daredevil, Born Again, uh, Ironheart, and Wonder Man. Uh, Rob, do you see these, the movement, all this kind of stuff? Kind of a bummer for some things. Uh, I'm reminded of this too. Maybe this is a topic for another time, but man, Marvel has just been in this period of they've been trying to expand their MCU way too fast with too many characters and too many things. You know, you go back to the beginnings of the MCU. They did like, they did Captain America, they did Thor, and they did Iron Man, and they did like two or three of those movies before they started spouting off 50 new characters. And right? they were interconnected. And they were all in. So they were always adding to a storyline that that plused each other. Leading up to the Avengers, they had a place that we all knew they were going, and then the ramifications of that echoed through other movies. And now that sort of ended. There are no. How are all these movies now connected? Well, it's, it's not even. I just feel like every five <laughs> minutes there's a brand new character being shoved out there, and they're not. It stops anyway. That's that's besides the point. Yeah. These delay. What do you think about the ones that have been delayed? What do you think about Daredevil just being pulled off the release schedule? And we may not even get it until 2025 now. What do you think? Well, about look, I mean, the ones that have been delayed, Agatha, do I care? I mean, I, they haven't even <laughs> defined, but they haven't even defined how does this, other than the Darkhold, how does the supernatural work in the MCU? It'll affect Blade. We got a little taste of it at the end of Eternals. 
I don't know. Maybe that's what this show was going to do. X-Men 97, I'm kind of interested in just because I like the original X-Men oh, show yeah. from the yeah. early 90s. Echo, like you said, don't care. <laughs> Daredevil, the Charlie Cox show on Netflix, to me was like pinnacle Marvel television. And I think, look, I know you weren't a, a, as big a, a, a fan as some of those shows, but I, I thought you loved Daredevil. I loved it. And love Punisher as well. Yeah, yeah, Punisher was great. And to me, those are sort of still the gold standard. <laughs> That and WandaVision of Marvel on TV. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe they'll have more time to make all these shows, but honestly, I, I'm i not that excited about them anyway because Marvel TV shows have let me down. Yeah. And they need to they need to win me back. The I think the MCU has to win back pretty much everybody. I mean, I like Guardians. Yeah, Guardians was great, but how uh, many things from Marvel have been great lately? And I think that Guardians even could stand alone. If there was no MCU, the three Guardians movies could work beautifully together. And I look, I just and the things, Christmas special. Uh, uh, well, right, <laughs> but no, and the Christmas social. And speaking of supernatural, I love the Werewolf by Night, the one-off yeah. that they did. That was wonderful. But again, how does that and how does Man Thing that appeared in that? How does that affect the MCU? We don't know how does so. There's a werewolf in the MCU. There's supernatural creatures in the MCU. We haven't seen them in the greater MCU, so we don't know how they all work together. So I don't think anybody's really going. Can't wait to see that Agatha show. You know, it's I am. Is it like the? (laughs) But is it like the Carrie Diaries, the Darkhold Diaries? I mean, I don't know. Look, I think it's going to be great because Miss Han is a a deft comedian. She's amazing, and I think whatever she's in, I'll watch her. I hope it's good, but these delays, John. Eh. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just think again, like you go back to the beginning of the MCU, and like before they would rush out with thirteen or fifteen new characters, they made sure we had a couple of Iron Man movies. They made sure we had a couple of Thor movies. They 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 established this world, and now, like, okay, we got introduced to Shang Chi, which to me. Maybe the I think the best MCU we both movies since Endgame. Yeah, right. We haven't seen them again. We got forty five other character movies coming out, none of which are getting any deeper or getting second chapters to their stories. It's just that you know we had Shield. Anyway, that's another thing entirely. But Daredevil delayed again, probably not till twenty twenty five, and uh, it's going to be hard to maintain a lot of energy and excitement about that for that long. But we'll see how it turns out. All right, with that down. Let's move on to this, shall we? Last week, there was a seismic event that happened in the world of movies when out of nowhere, Taylor Swift announced that her current tour, which, by the way, it's the Eras Tour, is now officially the biggest tour in the history of music, uh, raising about, making over $2 billion, they're saying, is going to be which by far, I mean, not even close. It by far makes it the biggest tour of all time. That's very Swiftish. Very Swifty. And they announced that they're releasing a movie version of that concert, one that was filmed in Los Angeles just a couple of weeks ago. And that was coming to theaters. The impact was immediate. Movie ticketing websites were crashing. Shows were selling out across the country. We started getting messages from, from fans who watch from around the country. It's like, I live in Kansas. Just tried to get for my tickets for my girlfriend. All sold out. Now, we on this show pulled up the AMC ticketing site, and we started to look at showtimes. Sold out, sold out, handicap only, front row only, sold out, front two rows only, sold out, sold out, sold out. It was kind of crazy. 
And we also talked about how the fact that a lot of the movie studios and distributors were really pissed off at particularly AMC because AMC is the distributor of record. AMC Theaters is the distributor of record for this. Now, there is a unwritten rule, a gentleman's agreement, if you will, mm-hmm. amongst the world of distribution that, hey, you're going to give a heads up to the other studios and the other distribution companies of when you're looking at releasing something. So everybody knows when to put their movies and move, the, move them around. Well, a lot of studios are pissed off that AMC just kind of announced that they were going to be dropping this movie in October when other movies have planted their flags right around that release date already. My attitude, even though I'm not the biggest fan of AMC right now, my attitude has been, fuck them. Because you know what? Warner Brothers didn't give AMC movie theaters any heads up when they decided to take their entire year's movie slate and they're going to make a day and date release on HBO Max. Universal didn't give AMC any heads up when they decided to take their Trolls movie and go, oh yeah, that was supposed to come out in a few weeks. Yeah, no, we're going to put it up on streaming instead. I mean, the studios and the shippers have been fucking over the uh, exhibitors, the movie theaters, for a long time. So good on AMC for sticking it right back. But at any rate, we actually have three full movies that were supposed to come out when Taylor Swift's movie was supposed to come out, and they have now, it's official, they've all evacuated. They've all (laughs) run away, in the words of Monty Python, run away. They all got out of the way. Let's take a look at those movies. Those ones that we've got, are, and I forgot that I have the graphic here on my machine, so I gotta bring <laughs> it over. Okay, so the ones we're looking at are, we already knew the Exorcist move. They announced that last week, that they moved up the release date to get out of the way. Then they have the new two-time Academy Award winner, two Hillary time. Swank. Two-time. <laughs> Hillary Swank's her new movie, uh, Ordinary Angels. And just last week, we talked about the trailer a little bit, the new Meg Ryan rom-com with David Duchovny. Woo! Called What Happens Later, <laughs> which actually was kind of a cute little trailer. It was, yeah. It was a cute little trailer. And she directed actually. it. Yeah, she's directed the film too. And you know what? Not a bad, and I love David Duchovny. I, I, I love David Duchovny. Look how neat. It's now official that all three movies have gotten out of Dodge. They've all said, nope. <laughs> no, thank you. We're not going to try to compete with uh, the Taylor Swifties getting in there. Mm-hmm. And even though this Swift concert thing is going to be limited. It's not going to be a 4,000 theater release. I mean, it's a more limited thing. The per screen, I'm predicting the per screen average because there's a number out there. There's there's a number, whenever you look at box office results, there's a number that says the per screen average. Like, it takes the total amount of box office, divides it by the actual number of screens it played on, and that's your per screen average. While this will not break all time opening weekend box office records, I have a feeling this might break the per screen average record. I, I don't know that. I haven't heard any other pundits say that. But I have a feeling, considering all the screenings, and by the way, uh, overnight, I just went to my AMC's local website where there were five screenings of this movie on opening day at my local AMC. That's now 12. Yeah, They've added like coming. seven more screens to it overnight. And I don't know if they're sold out yet or not, but it's it's pretty big, Rob. I mean, it it is a big deal it is an expensive deal. It is a huge marketing thing. Studios picking their release dates, planting their flags on dates, building marketing campaigns around that, figuring out screen availability, actors and stars, promotional availability, all that kind of stuff. It's a huge deal to move a release date 
All three of them, boom, out of the way. Have you ever seen anything like this in movies? No. And I'll tell you something. Another thing to bring up is that because the strikes and because the actors cannot promote new movies coming out, we saw a couple last week or two weeks ago, big moves by the studios moving a lot of their big movies for the holiday season into 2024. So here are studios, uh, uh, movie theaters are trying to cope and studios once again are taking movies and moving them in, you know, Dune 2 leaves 2023 and goes into March 15th of 2024. But the studios are not going to the movie theaters. Hey, um, sorry, we're taking our product out of your theaters again. So when they get mad at AMC for Taylor Swift coming in like the angel she is and saving <laughs> them, I mean, already, John, a month out, more than a month out, they've sold tens of millions of pre presale tickets for yeah. these movies, selling out all over the place. You know, Taylor Swift for the last 15 years has meant a lot to generations of girls uh, growing up, I mean, who love her music. And I think... They shot this. the 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 LA shows were just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So so and, and knowing that when you're shooting with synced cameras and things like this, it doesn't take long to film a concert and cut in between all the cameras with modern technology, and um, to get this in the theater, I'll bet you that this was something they necessarily weren't planning. Like at first. Oh no! When they first yeah they they actually talked about that they when they first planned the tour, they hadn't thought about this. Right. It was. It was only, I mean, I think somewhere around March, I think they said, is when they said, what if we filmed it and put mm. it in movie theaters? And when they first had the idea for it, yes. they pulled this thing together in record time. And yeah. what was great, SoFi Stadium is a brand new stadium. So I bet technically it was already set up to be able Probably. to do something yeah. like this. Well, on HBO Max, I think I brought this up the other day, but on, I think it's on HBO Max, uh, The weekend. Good Canadian kid, by the way. Right. Uh, the weekend did a concert, a sold out couple of concerts in SoFi Stadium, and they put that concert video up on HBO Max. And I think you're a hundred percent right about they've built in technology as seen because it is shot beautifully. It looks yeah. great. And even the trailers for this concert look amazing. And think about all the people. Look, this was a very expensive concert tour. It was difficult to get tickets for a lot of people. I think, you know, kudos to Taylor Swift. I understand. She's an incredible businesswoman. I love the fact that she's been re-recording her albums that Scooter Libby had. She's phenomenal. I've, I'm a huge admirer of her as a business person. This is a great business decision. And the fact that they went to AMC's distribution uh, arm, that AMC is self-distributing this. I'll tell you one thing, John. I'll bet you seeing this in one of their Dolby theaters is a banger of an experience because it's probably incredibly well-recorded, beautifully photographed, and hearing it in that kind of an environment or even one of their IMAX environments, it's going to sound great. You weren't. I don't think you were here when we talked about this. So speaking of AMC, don't know if you heard this. I, I want to get your reaction to this. AMC announced that the Taylor Swift concert movie had broken the all-time AMC single-day ticket sales records with $25 million in sales just, just for AMC theaters. Do you know what was, was the record holder? The Force Awakens? Close. So the second, the, the one that was the record holder for the most ticket sales in one day was Spider-Man No Way Home. Mm. Okay. Spider-Man No Way's Home number was 16.9 million. Taylor Swift did 25 to 26 million in one day. Like it, it didn't just beat the record. It They're beat like the living million. shit out of the record. Like, I mean, and Fandango, Fandango announced that their single day ticket sales for the Taylor Swift thing were in the neighborhood of Endgame and The Force Awakens. 
Look, like, Taylor, Taylor Swift is a is a force of nature. And again, you know, I, it's funny. A friend of mine's daughter parked her car at our house for the summer. And she was on a, a tour. She's a singer and went throughout Europe and sang. And she came back and she said to me when I, I, I picked her up at the airport to give her a car back. And she goes, I came back early because I have one ticket to see Taylor Swift. And, and she told me. <laughs> it's like Willy told, Wonka. I've got the golden I, I, ticket. I, I, she had the golden ticket. The gold. and, and she said, when I was nine years old, I sang a Taylor Swift song in a talent contest. And now here I am, a college graduate singing across Europe. But I made it back to see Taylor Swift. And I'm like, so from nine to now 22, Taylor Swift has been a, a major force in your life. And that was one girl. And I'm sure the entire planet feels the same way because clearly Taylor Swift is a once in a lifetime uh, entertainer and, you know, a whole generation. God bless her. I got to tell you, one of my worst, I don't date her, though. worst aged <laughs> comments ever I have ever made. Like, I'm, I'm pretty good at, like, predicting when something's going to be big. Like, I remember early, this is like early pre-first Spider-Man movie said this james franco kid he you watch this kid's gonna be huge he's gonna be huge did right but my buddy chuck norris uh not that chuck norris uh, uh, uh one of my film editors his name is actually chuck norris that's his real name anyway chuck norris reminded me of this because back in the day as we were editing one of my projects uh, taylor swift had had a hit song or something like that and i said yeah a year from now no one's gonna know who she is She's she's gonna be here today, gone tomorrow. Yeah, no that that one did not age well because here we are in 2023 talking about her shattering box office records. All right, amazing though. She's amazing. As, absolutely amazing. By the way, I was watching a, like a doc, and the apparently smartest thing you you talked about her business acumen, smartest thing she ever did. About over a decade ago, whenever she would go on a date, like a first date with somebody, she made them sign an NDA. Yeah. And that's why you never hear stories, not legitimate stories anyway, about her dating relationships. Because anybody who wants to go out on a date with her, cool. I know this is an awkward way to start, but you got to sign an NDA that says you can never talk about it. Well, I was kidding. That's why I said about you <laughs> know, isn't that dating smart, her. Though? But I, no, I, I think she's incredibly, incredibly smart. And you know, honestly, it's not just her music, but her entire lifestyle, the fact that she's surrounded by a, a huge group of really good friends, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of her friends go on tour with her. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of a, a, a successful individual, I've always been impressed with not just her business acumen, but kind of the way she's led her life. Yeah. I mean, she's really impressive. And what she did with Scooter Libby, I mean, basically her original recordings were taken from her, you know, and exploited. And she was like, F that. I'm going to just re-record. I mean, she re-recorded her, her Didn't albums. did Prince do something similar? Similar. Yeah, yes. I think Prince did something similar. But to that not too, like yeah. re-recording your... He didn't go back and re-record Purple Rain. It wasn't yeah. like Prince's version or whatever. No, I mean, and she's doing that. And I'm like, that is a baller move, man. You go, Taylor Swift. All right. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, I, I came... We are now in September. Wow, 2023 is motoring along. But we are now in September, which means it's official. The summer movie season is done. Oh. And I came across a really interesting article uh, in Gizmodo. I'm also a major tech head, so I read Gizmodo and The Verge and uh, like a lot of Engadget, like all this kind of yeah. stuff. But at any rate, but they had a really great article that they simply called like the biggest winners and losers of the 2023 summer movie season. 
And I thought, you know, that'd be a really cool thing to kind of go through and discuss here on the show. So that's what we're going to do right now. I, I've got their article up right here, uh, Biggest Winners and Losers of the 2023. I thought we'd go through this and kind of think about what we think. I mean, I think we all know what the biggest winner is, and it's Barbie. But <laughs> we're going to start this thing off. Winner, Barbie. I mean, there's, there's no doubt. I, I don't think anybody in the world uh, thought that we'd be heading into the last part of the year and that Barbie was going to be the number one box office film of the year. Um, it, it just came out of nowhere. It's an incredibly smart, higher level kind of deeper thinking sort of thing in the facade of a plastic doll movie. Uh, tremendous success. It's, it's a, it is now the number one film. It's at $1.38 billion now. So past Mario Brothers. Which, again, just jump back one year. Tell somebody that the two biggest movies of the year are going to be Barbie and Mario Brothers. Not a lot of people would have believed you at the time. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, Rob, is there any doubt that the winner of the summer movie season was Barbie? No. I think it was the winner of the year. Yeah. Um, so that's what they list off there. Next off, they talk about horror. A big winner because you had Talk to Me. Yeah. Which got a lot of people to and Insidious Red Door. Well, I had no interest in seeing it and I didn't see Insidious. It did fairly well. Now, obviously, you also had Voyage of the Demeter, did not do so well, but a couple of really good surprise hits for horror in this summer movie season. What did you think about that? I think it was fantastic. I mean, the great thing about Talk to Me, made by two brothers from Down Under, they cut their teeth making TikTok videos, videos for online. They learned their craft. And I would have thought we would have seen a lot more of this, how, you know, it used to be you'd made it, make an independent movie, like Spike Lee made something like She's Gotta Have It. But I would have thought with TikTok and the technology that we've got that we'd see a lot more filmmakers like the guys who made Talk To Me. They honed their craft for years on social media. Then they, they applied it to Talk To Me. And, dude, I thought, I thought Talk To Me was really good. And it, it had a really, again, A24, I don't know what they put in the water over at A24, but they have impeccable taste when it comes to finding emerging filmmakers, especially horror, because everything from, you know, Ari Aster to Robert Eggers and The Witch, uh, and they have done a great job bringing new talent up and, and giving us great horror films, and good on them, man. Now, this next one they list as a winner is a little bit questionable, but they call winner Marvel. Just Marvel. It's a little weird because they mentioned two projects in particular, which is, of course, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is actually Sony. But yeah. It's a Marvel character, but it's a Sony movie. The other one they mentioned is Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which ended up you know, exceeding a lot of expectations, made well over $800 million. I mean, good on them. That was great. I, I don't know, though, that I would qualify one of the winners as being Marvel, again, because Across the Spider-Verse, which I still think is the best film of the year, uh, that's a Sony picture. It did have Guardians, but it also had Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is very early in the summer, but still that was there. And I know this is only movies, but they also kind of struggled on the Disney Plus front. Right. Even though that doesn't really count here. So I would I would say Guardians is definitely one of the winners of the season. I think mm -hmm. Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse, which nearly tripled the box office of the original Into the Spider-Verse, uh, was definitely a winner. I, I think I'd, Rob, I don't know what you think about this. I would hesitate calling Marvel a winner of the summer movie season, though, just based on the one film. 
Yeah, I mean, I would think, I think though that in terms of like when you think Spider Man, you can't help but think, I think across the Spider Verse elevated the Marvel brand. Because it's still Spider Man, you're thinking Tom Holland, even though true, yeah. So, but but I would I would but in that case, I understand. I agree with you in the sense that, but I don't think they're separating it the way we do. They're just thinking Mark because it is Spider Man, so it's Marvel. You know, they're not. But but yeah, I mean, I but I would say that that the Marvel brand won this summer. Mm. You know, at least was notwithstanding Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania, right? But that was I, I I mean I wonder what their demarcation line was for spring versus summer. Yeah. But yeah. The right, Guardians the, did good. The next thing they list as a winner, I initially kind of pulled back a little bit. Like, huh? But the more I thought about it, they're listing as one of their winners, Pixar, uh, for Elemental. Now, think about this. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny opened with a $60 million opening weekend. Elemental opened with a Pixar worst $29 million opening weekend. Less than half of what Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny did. But get this. Despite the fact that Elemental opened with less than half of what Indiana Jones did, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny went on to make $381 million at the box office. Elemental, opening with half of what Indiana Jones did, made $480 million. A hundred million dollars more than Indiana Jones did while opening to less than half of the same size opening weekend. The staying power and the legs of Elemental. Um, I haven't, you don't see it like this. It, it honestly reminded me of Greatest Showman, like that movie that yes. opened with a very, very poor opening weekend box office, but just hung around and hung around and hung around. Now, $480 million is not exactly massive block, block, blockbuster success. But when you consider how it started, a lot of people like me, by the way, I loved the movie, but I didn't think it was going to make $250 million with the opening that it had. And just the staying power that it had, reminding people of how good a Pixar movie could be. I recoiled at first when they said Pixar is a winner, but you know what? I'm going to get behind this. I will call it a winner for this. What do you think about it? I agree. You know, I'll tell you something. I think the reason people didn't go at first was I think it was too hard for people to necessarily grasp. Elemental, how, I mean, we, we saw Inside Out because that was still a function of people, but how do you anthropomorphize fire and water? And I think a lot of people might have been initially turned off, but like us, John, when we saw the first, what, half an hour, 25 minutes at CinemaCon, I was like, this is wonderful. I was blown away by it. I thought it looked great. It was, we saw it in 3D. I'm like, this is so lovely. And I went out and saw it in the theater. I'm like, this is pretty much an enchanting film that has something to say about immigration. It had something to say about family, about romance. I'm like, and it looked great. It was really clever and fun. And I was really surprised when it didn't do anything at all. And by at that point, I hadn't seen the rest of the film. And I think it truly is, and no one's really said this, but I think Elemental was a word of mouth hit. Yeah. As more people, at first people were like, what is this? Why am I going to see this? And people were like, no, no, no. I took my kids. You should really go. And that movie actually had its legs. I was surprised at how it stuck around. Every week kind of stuck in the same place, week after week after week, because it delivered. It did what Pixar does. And at first, I just think they couldn't get people in the theater. Well, it had a couple of other things working against it too, right? Because Disney 
made the monumental mistake of taking a number of their Pixar films and dumping them on Disney+. Plus. Yep. So it took away that must-see theatrical experience nature of it, including Turning Red, which still bothers me so much. Soul, which was a great movie. A lot of people loved Luca. I thought Luca was okay. I thought yeah. Luca was okay. But they did that, and then it compounded that with the first one they did put back out in theaters was a pretty lackluster one with uh, Lightyear, right? And that that movie, great first act, second two acts, and by the third act, it really fell apart. Yeah. And so that's that was the environment that it came out in. So you're right, I think, because we were surprised when we saw the first 20-something minutes at CinemaCon, we were surprised that we were like, this is an immigration story. Right. And they never got that, right? Now, I'm I'm a first-generation Canadian. Like, my family came over from Italy, so I'm sure there's a lot of people like me that it's not just about immigration, it's about being a first-generation person in the new country because you realize your family roots are something different and you're struggling with, I'm born in this world, but my family's kind of from another world. And I think it just resonated with a lot of people. I do too. And it, and it, that wasn't exactly in the marketing materials. No, sir. <laughs> uh, another winner they mentioned, by the way, obviously is is Oppenheimer, which by the way, you know, we, we said last week it's about to pass it, but it is now officially passed both mm -hmm. Deadpool movies. It's sitting at like $840 million now, which means Oppenheimer is the second highest grossing R-rated film of all time. And I remember when it, we, we did a big story about when it entered the top 10 of the all-time R-rated films. And somebody asked, do you think it'll get to the number two spot? I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, no, it's not going to get to the number two spot, but it's going to climb. Here we are, number two spot. <laughs> it's at 853. 853. So another 200 million, and it could catch. I don't think it's, I think it's pretty late in the game now to make another 200 million. But yeah. I mean, Joker's right there. I mean, Joker, which is the number one box office R-rated film of all time. But it, so obviously big, big win for an Oppenheimer and a movie that I didn't even think Ray or this is the biggest testament I have for Oppenheimer. A movie I didn't even think Ray Orr would stay awake through became his number one favorite film of the year. Is it yeah. still? Well, wait, now you've seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles now. Is Oppenheimer I still your favorite film of the year? They're just too complete. Like, they are it, different. It's, it's Oppenheimer for sure, but Ninja Turtles is up there for me because I want to see it again. And like, that's, that's crazy. But um, yeah, Oppenheimer is still my number one. I can't, I could. That's the first time ever when, as soon as the credits went up, I said to myself, that's the best movie this year. That's I just watched the best movie this year out loud, like, you know, out loud, but I was saying it to myself. So, yeah, I still feel that way. It's my number one this year. Mm. All right. Going to go over now. So we're going to go to the other side of the coin. Uh, Gizmodo, in their article, proclaimed the number one biggest loser of the summer 2023 movie season is, uh, is DC. And... It is very, very difficult to disagree with this. In an era where we kind of became unrealistically accustomed to big comic book movies making billion dollar at the box office, they put out two films. They put out The Flash, which I don't even know if it got to 250. If it did, it barely, barely got over $250 million worldwide. And then they put out Blue Beetle, which is a Fine little movie. I enjoyed Blue Beetle. It's not one of the great comic book movies, but it's an entertaining film that I had a good time watching. I had some issues with it, but it's a good film. It just crossed the $100 million oh. mark worldwide. Oh. 
$100 million worldwide. This is going to be one of the, this is probably going to end up being even less than Shazam Fury of the Gods. It's probably going to be the lowest grossing major comic book film of this new era. Um, now, we've gone over a lot in recent months about how DC has been dead for five years. They put out seven movies. None of them in the last five years have made more than $400 million. That's ridiculous. That's, think about that. But if you needed an explanation point on that, the summer of 2023 definitely get that. R Rob, I can't have any disagreement that the loser of the 2023 summer movie season was DC. What are your thoughts? I completely agree. Um, but I think, look, this there's a lot of things going on here. Uh, you know, I watched The Flash this weekend on a 4K disc with Elizabeth, who hadn't seen it. She loved it. And I enjoyed it. I, you know, again, watching it at home, watching it all the way through. Again, I, I had so much fun with this movie. We had fun with it at CinemaCon. Um, I understand. I've heard all the arguments against it, all the arguments for it. But I really think what happened, and I, I don't think it can be undersold when they hired Peter Safran and James Gunn to take over. They, they completely negated a lot of the interest in these movies because these movies were seen, especially by the core audience, as being immaterial to anything. See, I disagree. The reason I disagree with that, and that's a popular sentiment, but the reason I completely disagree with that sentiment is that theory holds water if the movies that came out prior to that announcement were making money. Oh, but they were all already no, tanking. I, I, right? I they agree. Were, they were tanking before they ever made that. But I think that Blue Beetle and The Flash were much more entertaining that they were than they're giving credit for. Both of those movies. I agree. You I know, agree. and and I think that and and I think Aquaman's going to suffer too. Mm. I'll be like we've talked about on this show whether Aquaman will even make five hundred million dollars. This is a from you know, a billion dollars. up until Barbie. Yeah. Aquaman was the most successful Warner Brothers movie of all time. And Barbie's trounced it. Actually, you, that was uh, that was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. Oh, was it? Wasn't yeah. Aquaman? Or maybe yeah. I'm thinking. But so but it was up there. It was right it was up way there. up there. So here's a billion dollar franchise that has another movie coming out that there's really no excitement for. You know, we're we're moving into the holiday movie season. It comes out in December. It was supposed to come out last December. But I do think it, it it might not. I know it's a popular sentiment, but I think these movies that I think delivered more than say. Birds of Prey did, mm. you know, in terms of entertainment value. We're, they're good movies. And the problem was, I mean, they're they're in the wake of a transition. I hope their Superman's going to be better. But, yeah, they've got to do <laughs> – I wouldn't want to be James Gunn right now directing Superman. Oh, it's, it's the biggest hot seat. It's the biggest pressure position in Hollywood right now. E trying to Maybe ever in thing. terms of reviving a brand. Because can you imagine if that if, – if not – if Superman fails, oh, they're done. They're done. They, they're, you know what it is. I, and again, I don't want to put any undue pressure, but remember Universal's Dark Universe. I, I, I honestly think it's just about how they put out the first Mummy movie that I didn't think was as bad as a lot of people thought it was, but it was not great. They put out that movie. And it stumbled, and it killed the entire franchise they had planned. I honestly believe... Now, under no circumstances is Superman Legacy going to be a huge box office hit. It's going to take time to rehabilitate the image of DC and get people back on board. But if the movie's not awesome, forget box office. It's got to be awesome to start rehabilitating the image. If this movie's not awesome... 
this brand new DCU, I almost said EU again, this brand new DCU is as dead in the water as the Universal Monster Universe was because the first one dropped the ball. I mean, again, going back to Black Adam, you had a movie that had been pumping for 15 years that had the biggest movie star in the world and they even put out in their marketing, Henry Cavill's back as Superman. Yeah. That movie couldn't make $400 million. It's That's how bad the state of DC is yeah. right now. So I, I agree that the big loser. They do mention a couple of other losers as well, and it's hard <laughs> to disagree. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Uh, the movie, like Black Adam, could not crack $400 million. Now, granted, this was coming off of... A, the most poorly received of the Indiana Jones franchise. Actually, a lot of people don't even count Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as a part of the franchise. Yeah. Came off that decades too late. Uh, it just was never able to to generate that buzz, whatever. And I remember it played, what, I think it played at Con. I think it played at, yep. at, at Can, the Cannes Film Festival. And that's where you had a lot of the big outlets were there covering it. And I remember, because you and I were talking about this, they did their first screen at the Cannes Film Festival, and everybody was kind of excited to hear, and the response was pretty lukewarm. Yeah. Coming out of the Cannes Film Festival from the major outlets. They were like, eh, and right there, you could feel all the wind come out of the No, that the killed the movie. Fails. It killed the movie. Yeah, and you know what? I, I didn't even mind the movie. I certainly think it was better than Kingdom of the Crystal yeah. Skull. Doesn't belong up there with the original Indiana Jones trilogy, but I thought it was at least better than King with Crystal Skull. But at $381 million, which was barely more than what they spent on making it, never yeah. mind the marketing and everything. Do you agree having Indiana Jones on the list? Or is that I agree. I mean, I hate, the, I hate that we're calling an Indiana Jones movie a loser, loser. but even Kingdom of the Crystal Skull made like $750 million. Yeah. Uh, in that same thing, the last thing they list as a loser, and it, I hate saying it because the movie's great. Tom Cruise. Uh, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, which did significantly better than Indiana Jones, but it made $560 million. And there were some people, like I I tried, people laughed at me when I said, this movie's not going to make a billion. Oh, only, and I only said that because no Mission Impossible movie has ever made a billion, right? So that was unreal. I thought that was unrealistic. But even I thought it was going to make more than 560. Now, a lot of people will point to the fact that, well, it had to contend with Oppenheimer and, and, and Barbie. I'm like, yeah, but Oppenheimer had to open on the same weekend as Barbie, and it still made $850 million. I mean, so I, I don't buy that excuse. I think if people wanted to see a movie, they could have gone to see it. And by the way, it didn't open huge. It opened right around the Mission Impossible average, around 60-something million, right? Um. Uh, still, and the movie was great. I thought it was, I don't think it's the best Mission Impossible movie, but I thought it was truly entertaining, really fun film. Tom Cruise coming off of the mega smash hit of Top Gun, and it could barely cross half of what Top Gun made. I, I don't know. What do you think about them listing Mission Impossible as one of the losers? Well, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at how much something costs to how much it make, made. And while I thought, look, to be honest... I was disappointed by this movie. I thought it was beautifully made and all that, but Rogue Nation and Fallout are bangers. And I think that this film, you know, they always kind of have made up the scripts as they go. I think uh, this movie had a real problem, which was 
their antagonist was not much of an antagonist. And they kept looking for these two keys to turn the antagonist off. Right. So, and then the villain worked for this AI. So I think what people were, they wanted those thrills, but the villains, like, I mean, Rogue Nation of Fallout are so good that when you go this, this movie is beautifully made. I was really entertained by it. I was, I saw it twice. I mean, what's not to love? But I don't think it was as thrilling, even though the end train sequence was amazing. Oh, banger of a action sequence. It was amazing and well done. I think as a story, it just wasn't as engrossing as the others. And look, Fallout was a huge bar, man. Rogue Nation, actually, if you go back to Ghost Protocol, so you had three movies that were all incredible. Yeah. And I think what they needed to do was far surpass, and they made a Mission Impossible movie. It was good. But I don't think it was different enough where people were like, oh, my God, you have to go see that. It was what they expected. So Even the maybe? opening weekend, I remember, I was a little bit surprised by, because I, I think it was around the $60 million mark. Yeah, and I Opening I weekend. And I thought that was a little bit low. So word had, it was 54, $54 million opening weekend. So less than Indiana Jones made opening weekend. I know. And I, I think people were like, maybe it's because it was the seventh one. I don't know. Maybe. But I, it was, but, I mean, it was a handsomely made Chris McCoy. Those movies are so well made. And Tom Cruise obviously gives it his all. And, and there's some great stuff. Maybe also because the big stunt piece we'd seen a million times before, whether it was a trailer or the IMAX behind the scenes. I video. know but that didn't take away any of my anticipation no, of seeing know. it in the movie in context. Cause you're right. We've seen, we saw the motorcycle jump a thousand times, Yeah, but to actually see it, in the movie and in context was actually pretty cool. And so. one of my favorite moments in the movie is like, well, how is he going to get on the train? And when he came crashing oh. through, I love that. I was like, that was awesome. No, I, I think they did. Again, I don't think it's the best Mission Impossible movie, but I think they did so much right in this movie. And I was pretty excited about it. I still don't know whether it was a ripoff or an homage of Hunt for Red October at the beginning of the film, but right. whatever, it's pretty close either way. All right, guys, listen. With that all down, uh, first, what do you think about what were some of the big winners, some of the big losers of the the summer movie season? Let us know what you think. Now, with that down, we're now going to move on and start taking some topics from our YouTube channel members. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second to thank a couple more sponsors of today's episode, our friends at HelloFresh and DraftKings. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Kickstart a fresh fall routine with HelloFresh. HelloFresh handles all the meal planning and shopping to deliver everything you need to cook up a tasty meal right at home. They do the hard part and you get to take the credit. HelloFresh takes the stress out of mealtime by delivering fresh ingredients and easy recipes right to your door. So this fall, skip that extra trip to the grocery store and have dinner ready in no time with America's number one meal kit. Like we've mentioned before, Ann and I are both working professionals and mealtime is sometimes a bit stressful. That's why we absolutely love HelloFresh. It's nutritious, it's delicious, and we actually have a really good time making dinner together. So guys, go to hellofresh.com slash 50 Campia and use the code 50 Campia for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. That's HelloFresh.com slash 50Campia and use the code 50Campia. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video. 
DraftKings. Can you believe we've had seven months without an NFL game? Crazy, right? Well, good thing that's over. NFL is here and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a can't-miss offer for week one. This week, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you just bet five bucks on any NFL game. DraftKings is hooking everyone up with game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Check the app to see what you get. So download now and use the code CAMPIA to sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly just for betting five bucks. That's code CAMPIA only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See dkng.co slash football for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. And thank you to our friends at HelloFresh and DraftKings for sponsoring this episode of the John Campus Show podcast. Okay, guys, with that down, let's get over and start taking some of our YouTube channel member questions. Jonathan, what do we got? Red One Real Talk writes, uh, do you think there will be much enthusiasm for the return of late night talk shows when WGA strike ends? I feel like most interest in them lately was concentrated on YouTube clips rather than the shows themselves and wonder how they might change, if at all, post-strike. I, I listen, there is a demographic of people who really like their late night talk shows. And, and that's why they've existed for generations. Uh, so while I'm not somebody who would regularly tune in and watch late night talk shows, the people who do are very anxious for it to return. And yeah, I, I think there will be. But but again, only amongst the people who normally watch it. And then the other people like me love seeing the clips that come up on YouTube. Yeah. But I think it's there. What do you think? I agree. I mean, you know, I've, I've late night talk shows when you, if you go to bed at 11 o'clock or something, they're great. You know, you're sitting in bed, you're watching something, you don't want to get involved in a drama. So you can watch in a late night talk show is a perfect way to end your evening. And I too, like you, like watching the clips. All right. What's next? Uh, Patrick Reese writes, I know you said you don't go to film festivals, but would you ever cover the reviews and such that come out of it? Uh, just out of curiosity, what makes you choose CinemaCon over the festivals? Location, thank you. Oh, I've I've gone to film festivals, but I don't go to a lot. And we often, very often, cover reviews coming out of festivals. Mm -hmm. uh, we just talked about the fact that when the reviews for Indiana Jones came out of the Cannes Film Festival, we we talked about that a lot. Um, there's also a lot of stuff at film festivals, depending on the film festival you go to, that will that nobody else will ever see. Right. There's just a lot of that. And when you do what we do, we are we we with our show are basically talking about the things that most people see or have the option of seeing. Right. CinemaCon is for what I do far more valuable than any film festival, because you have all the studios in a very finite period of time getting together and showcasing all the biggest and best stuff they've got coming over the next year Getting, letting you hear from the actual filmmakers coming out on stage and talking about it, getting advanced looks at these films. It is by far, uh, when you're in my line of work, it is by far the more valuable thing. Um, an argument could be made for the Toronto International Film Festival, but, but then you got to, your CinemaCon, three and a half days. The Toronto International Film Festival, weeks, 
right? And that the Toronto International Film Festival is more of a big film film festival as opposed to like a lot of the other ones. But yeah, CinemaCon for our line of work is by far, by far the best bang for your buck use of our time kind of experience to go to. All right, what's next? Woodcut Art writes, rest in peace, Jimmy Buffett and Steve Harwell of Smash Mouth, remembering two great artists from two different generations. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's funny. We were talking about, me and Ann were talking about Jimmy Buffett the other day. I mean, like, and talk about business acumen, that dude was a freaking genius. Oh, yeah. Like the the way he he would organize his business, the way like you go to a Jimmy Buffett concert, all you could order was Jimmy Buffett beer. That's the only be like he the way he tied everything in together, and hell, we were just at Universal Studios yesterday and walked by Margaritaville. We've eaten in there a couple of times, and yeah, I mean not only an iconic musician but a huge business acumen as well. And yeah, I read the story a couple of days ago about uh, the lead singer from Smash Mouth was had been sent home in hospice care. It was basically, there's nothing left we can do. You've oh. got a couple of days left. Um, very sad um, to hear about that. Way too young. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that happens. Really unfortunate. All right, what's next? Uh, CJ Rebirth writes, I had a lot of fun watching Equalizer 3 in theaters. Some of my favorite scenes were when Denzel was interacting with Dakota Fanning. Yeah, Ann and I, we had plans to go see Equalizer 3. We ended up needing to do some other things. I haven't seen Equalizer 3 yet. Didn't that have like a, like a $35 million, like and they projected? And it had a really solid opening. Yeah. Huge. $68 million. Yeah, huge. No, well, no, it's it had a $34 million opening. Um, and that is, like, especially, I remember a week or two ago saying, I'm hearing nobody talk about Equalizer 3, uh, which is really weird because the first two films were pretty entertaining. But you know what? It ended up making as much as the other two did. The other two made like 34 and 36 million opening weekend. But it is Labor Day. But, but so it's a four day weekend. All the Thunder. No, but, but that's just its official opening weekend, not the three day weekend right. that they counted, right? And it had to contend with because I remember the studio was really worried about this. All the ticket sales bug. Uh, buzz got soaked up by the Taylor Swift announcement <laughs> and yet Equalizer 3 was still able to make $34 million. Oh, yeah, domestic. Worldwide, $68 yeah. million. But yeah, but again, yeah, whenever yeah. you're talking about opening weekend, yeah, yeah, you yeah. only are talking about domestic. Dude, I gotta tell you, I mean, one of my favorite, this is such a weird thing to say, I don't know why, I love the first two Equalizer movies, but yeah. I love watching clips on YouTube of the scenes where he just wrecks fools. Oh, yeah. And, and going to Italy. I just love the idea that he's going to finally take on the Italian mafia in Italy. I'm going tonight. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. I, I had to work on the weekend. So I, 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 I'm watching him. I, I love these movies. Mm. Love them more, more than I probably should. They might've supplanted the fast and furious franchise for me. I really, like them. I, I really like these movies a lot. So I can't wait of, to see it. We're kind of due for a John wick equalizer video game. I think, uh, I, I mean, uh, you know, I would. It would be Aren't so called, great. Isn't that called Hitman? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't those there already? All right, let's take a couple more. What's next? Uh, Wesley writes, "Merry Labor Day, y'all." Taking a look back at uh, all-time opening weekends, it's insane. The top are f number five, Last Jedi at two twenty. Number four, Force Awakens at two forty-seven. Uh, number three, Infinity War two fifty-seven. Number two, No Way Home at two sixty. Endgame. Made three fifty yeah. uh, friggin' million, a hundred million from number two. Still mind blowing. How can that ever be broken at this point? I don't know that that record. I, I don't know that that three fifty seven can ever be broken. I'll, I'll be honest, with you. I, I don't. Just like I'm pretty sure the all time domestic box office record 
The all-time domestic box office is actually The Force Awakened at something like 957 million or something like something utterly ridiculous. Those are two records that I don't know that can ever be beaten. You know, it's funny because I do think that Avatar can be beaten for the all-time number one box office film, but that opening weekend number and that domestic number, let's put it this way. If those ever do get broken, it'll be long after I've retired. <laughs> It'll be long yeah, after yeah. I've retired if those two numbers ever get broken. I mean, it's just crazy. Well, and also Force Awakens was building on a franchise that started in 1977. You know, we had, and that was 2015, and we hadn't seen Han, Luke, and Leia on screen since 1983. So it's, it's, it, I don't know if that'll ever happen again. Well, we saw, we saw, we saw baby Luke in, uh, in the prequels. Yeah, but not Mark Hamill and not nope. Carrie Fisher, you know, and it would, generations of people grew up with that stuff. So. All right, let's do one more. What's next? JCSC uh, writes, what's a movie that you wish you watched in a cinema but never did for different reasons? Each, I wish I saw Gravity and Nice Guys at a cinema. Well, those are good ones. Those those are good. Nice Guys is so good. Um, a movie that I never got to see on the big screen. Well, for the longest time, it was uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I, I did get a chance finally to see that on the big screen. Um, Mine is First Jurassic Park. You never saw it on the big screen. No, I didn't. They've, they've, I mean, it seems like every year they do a short re-release of it, so you'll get the chance. They just did one. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to see that one part. <laughs> for me, I, I don't know. I mean, it would have to probably be a couple of the other of my all-time favorites. Like, I never saw that that would have some beef to it being on the big screen. One would be Spartacus. Never oh. saw that on the big screen. Uh, oh, ooh, I'm going to add one more to that. Uh, the other um, is uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. It's a good one. But actually, Ben-Hur. I never saw Ben-Hur on the big screen with the chariot races that people actually died making that thing. Um, I think that, that one would have some heft to it being on a big screen. What about you? I have never seen The Exorcist. On the big screen? On the big screen. And I've always wanted to because it's my favorite horror movie of all time. I remember you telling stories about going to see the second Exorcist. Yeah, I've seen second and Exorcist 3 too, but just the first Exorcist because it came out, I was too young. And I've never gone to a revival screening and saw it. I've seen Ben-Hur. I saw it. Seattle Film Festival used to have a 70 millimeter festival. And they showed Ben-Hur on the big screen at, at Seattle Cinerama Theater, which was a real treat. That was the one and only time I was able I was able to go there. And I would love to have seen 2001 when it first. Oh, I've seen it in the yeah. theater, but I wish I would have seen it when it was op when it opened. But you kind of got to see it on the big screen with Barbie, the opening of Barbie. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've seen it on the big screen many times since. I just wish I was alive to have oh, seen okay, it. Right. And the same was true of like I would have I would have loved to have seen like Lawrence of Arabia opening weekend and what it meant to people back then to see something like that for the first time. Well, I and mean, then if that was if we were talking about that, I mean the Chinese cinema theater when Star Wars oh, yeah. debuted. I mean, I still look at pictures of the opening of that. All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to our YouTube channel members for sending in those topics and questions. Number one, 
You support us by just being channel members. And number two, gave us some fun things to talk about. I want to thank the people in the room with me. Ray Ora. See you later. Jonathan Voico. See ya. Writer, director, producer, and gore enthusiast, Robert Meyer Burnett. Godzilla. And a big <laughs> thank you to you guys for being here. By the way, guys, don't forget, if you are watching this on YouTube, we actually make this as a podcast. Make sure you go and sign up and subscribe to our John Campia Show podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app of choice. By the way, we also put our open mic uh, show on that podcast feed as well. So you get two for the price of one. Make sure you go subscribe to it so it'll be there the next time you're at the gym or commuting. Whenever you need an audio version of the shows, there they are. So that'll do it for us for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs> wow. <leave> your scripts, <laughs> Rob Patrol. <laughs>